Hey, welcome to OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. You are witnessing the very, very first installment of OU Live. Uh, my, I'm the managing director of Torah Initiatives at the OU, uh, and I also the director of Nextdoor, an emerging group for young professionals. But tonight is a program that we really came up with just a couple of days ago, could actually count the hours. Um, it's a wild time. The world has flipped upside down. I am uh, live streaming to you from what looks like a nice studio is my bunker in my basement or <laughs> living at the apocalypse. Things have uh, turned around amazingly quickly. Um, and uh, people are requesting all sorts of things and people are looking for all sorts of things. And we had this wild idea that we would create a nightly program where we provide inspiration and entertainment, then we give you front row seats to our community's best. Um, we're talking to Rabunim, we're talking to inspiring leaders, we're talking to child psychologists, we're talking to people doing interesting things in the community uh, at this time. And something we could do and hopefully we could provide to you. And here we are. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, um, a great dad joke for me, please email it over to OULive at OU.org. I also want you to know that if you are watching this from the website, you could also watch this through Facebook or YouTube. If you, if you, uh, tune into, if you head over to Facebook, just check out the Orthodox Union's Facebook page, give it a like, and you'll get a reminder when we go live. Same thing for YouTube, hit subscribe and hit the bell. Uh, again, any suggestions, OULive at OU.org. We have an amazing lineup tonight. Baruch Hashem, I'm really excited. Um, in a bit, we're gonna get to talk to Slavi Youngris uh, Wolf. We're gonna get to talk to Dr. Henry Abramson. We're gonna hear from Shulam Lemmer. Right now, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce Rabbi Dr. Tzvi Hirsch Weinreb. Rabbi Weinreb is the Executive Vice President Emeritus of the Orthodox Union. After seven celebrated and accomplished years as the Executive Vice President, uh, and that is after 13 years as the Rav of Congregation Shomri Amuna in Baltimore. He really combines the skills of a pulpit rabbi, a scholar, and a clinical psychologist. You may know him from his writings, The Person in the Parsha, um, or you may know him from two decades of doing kinos worldwide on uh, Tisha B'Av. Uh, it is uh, an unbelievable pleasure to introduce Rabbi Weinreb. Thank you, David. Am I coming through? Are they here? Yeah, me? you're you're looking great. Okay. Um, it's uh, I can't say it's a pleasure to be here uh, because it's I'm here for very serious reasons. We're going through a very difficult time, all of us, the entire world. And I was asked to try to give some words of chizuk, some words of encouragement and support uh, to the audience. Um, so I'd like to do that by quoting something I heard just a few hours ago from a Rav in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Biederman, who quoted a uh, passage in the Talmud in the Gemara and Baba Kamat of Samach, which reads that Dever Bo'ir that when there's a plague in the town, the thing to do is to withdraw, to pull your feet back to retreat, uh, to do some social distancing, as, as we call it nowadays. So that idea goes all the way back to the times of the, of 
the Gemara of the Talmud. But Rabbi Biderman shared with his audience a comment on that passage in the Talmud from the author of the Ben Ishchai, the great, great Sephardi Rav of over a hundred years ago. And he said that in his study, he found that whenever there's a plague and he experienced plagues, cholera, for example, in his lifetime, uh, whenever there's a plague, people are affected by their fears and their anxieties and their emotions to such an extent that there's more difficulties and more disease caused by the fear than there is by the source of the plague itself. Now, I don't know how that bears out statistically, but it certainly puts into focus the importance for all of us to somehow cope with the range of emotions that we're going through at this moment. Uh, and I'm among them who are going through this range of emotions. There's uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know exactly what to do about it, how to prevent this uh, illness, how to cure it. We're afraid. We're anxious. We have financial worries. We're worried about our friends, our neighbors, our spouses. It's a time of great worry and great concern. I would like to share with you a few ideas, a few suggestions of the many that our tradition offers us as to how to cope with anxiety and worry and fear and panic. Because I think that's possibly the most important thing we can do right now is to somehow get a handle on our feelings. So I want to introduce you to a simple statement, four word statement, which was authored by the author of the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch, the author of that Sefer, wrote a list and a description of all the 613 mitzvot in the Torah. And we have this book today and we study it in great depth. In the Parsha that deals with the Korban Pesach, which is coming up, it's three weeks from tonight, believe it or not, we'll be sitting down to the Seder, hopefully all healthy and well that he writes as follows, that our heart, our feelings, our emotions are impacted by our actions. We can control our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our worries, our concerns, our passions by our actions. Actions control the heart. Pu'ulos, actions control the vovos, control the heart. To quote him, he writes, Every person is impacted, influenced by his activities, by his behaviors. It's our thoughts and our feelings that are impacted by our actions. This is not an original idea to say for Hachinuch. Sefer HaChinuch lived in the 13th century. But before that, the great Rambam, Maimonides, has a very interesting insight into the power of our actions. He writes this in his commentary on the Mishnah in Pirkei Ovo's where the Mishnah says, Hakol rov Everything depends on Rov HaMasa, on how many times you do something. So Rambam understands this to mean if I have a choice, for example, to write one check for $1,000 to one needy person or 
I can give a thousand dollar bills to a thousand needy people. Which of the two should I do? And the Rambam says, Hakol lefirov hamasa. If you give once, it's a wonderful thing. You gave a thousand dollars to a needy person, kol But it doesn't make you into a generous person because you only did one action. If, however, you give one dollar bill to a thousand people, you've done a thousand actions, and that's going to change how you feel. It's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your self-concept. It's going to change what you think of yourself. And therefore, Rambam writes, give the thousand dollar bills to a thousand different people. But we can do this nowadays in so many different ways. Yes, we're some of us in quarantine. Many of us are in self-isolation. We're all watching carefully where we go and who we speak to. But there are so many things we can do. We're doing things right now virtually as we speak. There's so many things you can do. A phone call to a needy person, offer to help someone, just checking in on another person. There are so many things we can do. The more we do those things, the more we're active, the less we feel the negative emotions that bring us down. You're feeling afraid and anxious, do something. Reach out to another person. Be creative in how you do that. Avoid, <laughs> take all the precautions we're told to take, but do something. Nowadays, the one blessed blessing of the electronic world is we can do it by phone, we can do it by video, we can do it by Skype, we can do it by emails. We can reach out to other people in so many helpful ways. Number one, one pa'ula, one type of action that we can do to diminish and control our negative feelings is action, and the actions can be acts of chesed, of compassion for other people. Number one. There's something else we can do, very different, very different. And that is, we can sing. We can sing songs. We can sing nigunim. That's an action too. Singing is an action. We're going to have later this evening on this program, Shulam Lemmer, who will be singing for us. But just singing itself, whether you're a great singer in the class of Shulam Lemmer or even much less of a singer, singing itself can control your actions, control your passions. You're feeling nervous, sing. This is illustrated by a fascinating story of the Majitz Rebbe, the Imre Shol, happened to have been my wife's grandfather, Zichrona Lidroch. He composed hundreds and hundreds of nigunim, hundreds and hundreds of tunes. And I asked him, he had a troubled life. He lived through the Holocaust. He died young. He had many, many difficulties in his life. They asked him, how can he, how, where does he write songs when he's so upset and so full of emotions? So he quoted the Rashi in Pasha's Peshalach, Oz Yashir Moshe. Then Moshe sang. Rashi says, Allah belibo shel Yashir Shira, which means he, it occurred to him, now it's a good time to sing. But the phrasing is, Allah belibo, it came up in his heart to sing. So the Rebbe, the Majitsa Rebbe said, when the heart overflows with feelings, that's the time to sing. Out of the negative feelings, sing a song, sing a nigan, sing a holy nigan, a chassidish nigan, a bisnagdish nigan, sing a nigan to the words of Tehillim, sing a nigan that turns you on. And that singing itself can control your emotions. So we have two ways to control the emotions. Pu'ulos, actions of chesed and compassion, number one. And number two, singing. A third. And final suggestion for tonight. There are many suggestions, but this one 
was something I was taught by a teacher long, long ago, a Rebbe of mine, who was in a situation somewhat similar to where we all are right now, different, but in some ways similar. He was in Shanghai, China, during the Holocaust. He was part of the group of Yeshiva Bachram from Lithuania who fled and found refuge in China and Shanghai. And they spent years in Shanghai with no communication to the outside world. They were in quarantine. And he once told us, you know, how did we cope? How did I cope with my feelings? I didn't know what happened to my parents, to my siblings, to my friends. I was all alone thousands of miles while the Holocaust was occurring in Eastern Europe and I was in, in, uh, West, in, in West China. And he told us a fascinating thing. He said, you know, during that time, I had a difficult time saying the words in Kriya Shema, you should love your God. How could I love my God? I was hungry. I was lonely. I was destitute. I didn't know what the future would bring. I didn't know what was going on with my loved ones. How could I love God? And he said in Yiddish, my heart was verstopped. My heart was closed off, was sealed off. You know what I did? I remember what the Rambam says, that the way to achieve love of God is to realize God's nature, to admire nature, to look at the sun and the skies, stars and sky and, and sea and ocean and see nature, see the beauties of nature. And this brings a person closer to God. This is what the Rambam says. It's actually based upon the Pesach and Tehillim. The Rambam quotes it where Tavon HaMelech says, Ki when I see God, your handiwork, this inspires me and draws me closer to you. So you know what I did, said my Rebbe? Every morning, I went to a place where I could see the sunrise. And every evening, I went to that same, a hill opposite that, where I could see the sunset. And I watched the sunrise and the sunset. And then I realized, this is the majesty of God. I feel so distant from him. I'm so small, I am puny, I am insignificant. And my troubles are insignificant because there's a God master of the universe. And the way to do that, not through reading a philosophy book about God's omnipotence, it's by seeing God's handiwork. And what better way that it, can it be than seeing the sunrise in the morning and the sunset in the evening? So we have a third way of doing something, an action, watching the sunrise, watching the sunset, seeing the beauties of nature, which we can observe even from the windows of a city on the city street. Look at the skies at night, the moon, et cetera, et cetera. There are three ways that I'm trying to outline for you. Actions of chesed, actions of musical song, and actions of beholding nature. And these three activities can help us with the passions that we feel, with the feelings that threaten to overwhelm us. May it be, may it be God's will, that by action, positive action on all these fronts, we will be able indeed to see the sunrise, to see the sunset over our sorrows of the difficulties we face now, and to see the sunrise into a new era, much better and much improved and much closer to the Gula Shlema. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Weinreb. It's very inspiring and very practical. Three important takeaways for us. If you're just tuning in, welcome to OU Live. You are on with us. And please let us know what you're interested, what you're looking for. Drop it in the comments down below or email us at OULive at OU.org. In coming episodes, we have 
inspiration from Charlie Harari. We have an interview with the Max and we have music from Eitan Katz. Uh, we're open to suggestions and I wanna hear what you're looking for. Later on in this episode, we have Dr. Henry Abramson, noted historian and musical sensation Shulam Lemmer. Right now, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce Rebison Slavi Jungris Wolf. Welcome. Thank you. So good Slavi to be Jungris, here. Huh, it's great to have you here, of course. Uh, wish it was under better circumstances. For those who don't know, uh, Slavi Jungris Wolf is a noted teacher, author, relationships, and parenting lecturer. She is the leader of Hineni Couples and the daughter of its founder, Rebetzin Esther Jungris, Alea Shalom. Slavi is the author of the parenting handbook, Raising a Child with Soul. I think a lot of us are trying to figure out right now, I can speak for myself, um, I'm always wondering how to raise my children with soul. Right now, I'm trying to figure out how to raise my children with soul and stay sane. And keep your soul. <laughs> and keep my soul. Um, <laughs> and have, have nothing horrible to apologize for. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a tumultuous couple of days uh, switching to uh, this lifestyle here in this bunker. So um, I'm sure that's on your mind. I'm sure people are asking you. And what do you tell them? Let's all, we, we understand that we're all under stress. And you have a lot of people living under one roof that normally there's a time that there's a break, children go to school, you go to work. There's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressure. The unknown is very worrisome. There's a lot of anxiety. And our children look to us, if we are strong, they are strong. If we're okay, they're okay. So we have to figure out how can we keep okay when we're very stressed out, right? Yeah, or, or those of us who aren't okay, how do we, how do we uh, are we supposed to pretend? Like what's the... <laughs> You know, I was thinking about when, when did we have something like this that we could learn from? Because if there's one thing that my mother taught me, it was turn the pages, turn the pages, everything's in the Torah. So when was this in the Torah? And you know what? When did you have a whole family under one roof and it was a possibility to have just an explosion? It was really Noah and the Teba because Noah had his whole family he had animals. I was even looking at the Medrash before. Can you imagine? He did not sleep for 12 months because everyone was on a different schedule. And there were some animals he didn't know what they liked to eat. He never knew this before. There was one little one on the side. It says that he didn't even feed this animal. And finally he said, why didn't you tell me? And the animal said, because you were so busy with everybody else. So it's like a home where everybody all of a sudden you're discovering, oh, this kid needs this and this kid doesn't like this. And I'm abusing right. my mind, right? I wish, I wish my kid would say, oh, really? I, <laughs> I, do I didn't want to bother you. There was something you I have, needed, but I didn't scream at you while you were on the phone with your boss. But you have the quiet one, you know, that you're afraid of overlooking and you have the one that takes over. And then you have your relationship with your husband, with your wife, and then there's the worry. So I'd like to think about three different lessons we can take from Noah and the Teva to make that into our reality because Torah is truth and, and Torah really tells us how to live. The first is that the word Teva itself means word. Hashem said, teva. when there's a big storm going on around you and there's a lot of tumult, you have to make for yourself this sealed Teva, but you have to figure out the words that are coming across in your environment, meaning, the way that you speak throughout this whole situation, this whole matzav is going to create. 
the word davar and dibur are, are related. The way I speak to my child, to my wife, even to myself, this is going to create something, either love or a lot of tension. So we have to, number one, concentrate on the environment that I'm creating in this house of mine. This situation is real. It's here. I don't have really much choice, but I do have a choice how I'm going to speak and how I'm going to act. There's another type of speaking, and that's body language. So if you have a child who's asking you to do something and you know you're going to do it anyway, don't make a face because you're going to do it anyway. So if they say, mommy, can you make, you know, I'm hungry. Daddy, can you help me with this? If you know you're going to do that, then don't say, oh, all right, and, and just like snort or make a face to make the child feel badly. Body language speaks a lot to children. We have an opportunity here to speak to our children. If you find that you're losing it, that you're screaming, remove yourself for a little bit. You know, take a drink of water, you know, say, I need a few minutes. It's okay. It's okay. There you go. Because our children kids are asleep. It's fine. <laughs> our children are being created right now. They're learning from us. Our words really create, and you can create or you can dis destroy with your words. So that's number one. Pay attention. Even if you don't scream one time a day, right? Or you, or you don't lose it one time a day. So instead of 10, it's nine. By the end of the week, Think how many less times you have that are negative with your child. That's huge. Every single interaction you have makes a difference. So let's try to be positive. I always say when you wake up in the morning, I say this in my parenting classes, look in the mirror and ask yourself, would you want to wake up to this face? Okay. So just even if you come down with a smile, right, it makes a difference to a child. It says to the child, I want to be with you. I'm happy to see you. So there we go. Number one is that we're able to speak to our child. Put a smile on your face. Try even once a day not to lose it. It makes such a big difference. That's the message of Teva. Number two, the message is that the Teva had three levels and the garbage was at the bottom. Don't bring the garbage upstairs. I know it's really hard. We want to keep our children busy. So sometimes we let them watch or do all types of things. We have to keep a schedule. We have to keep routine. Don't just stay in pajamas the whole day, even if you're going nowhere. Get dressed, okay? Right away when you get dressed, it makes a big difference because you'll find yourself in, in sweatpants and in pajamas for, you know, for a week now. And you have to keep clean and, and you have to keep fresh. Garbage downstairs. Make a routine. Make a schedule. What time are we waking up in the morning? You know, it shouldn't just be a free-for-all. Because when you have a schedule, you feel safe. A routine means safety. When you can just do whatever you want, when you want, it's like there's no brakes in a car. You're out of control. So create children should daven in the morning, okay? It shouldn't be 11 o'clock and no one davened yet. And then you have to scramble to catch all these different classes. I know it's a lot of pressure. I'm not saying you have to make big arts and crafts projects. You don't have to listen you know, we did this and we did that. And you know where we're, you know, we're making a play, we're making a show, but routine, routine is really, really important. The kitchen is not open the whole day. You know, there's breakfast, the kitchen is closed, there's lunch, there's snack time, as if you'd be in school, but you don't have to lose it. You don't have to get angry. If you have a routine, it means that everybody knows what is expected of them.
Have music time. Put on a little bit of music. Have recess time. Have exercise time. You know what you what works for your family, but you have to be able to sometimes chill a little bit. And you can't speak the whole day about Corona. I would say that you have to create a certain time that there are no phones on, and that should be the meal time. Finally, we have meal times with our children. Okay. Yeah, that's back. That's back in style. Back. <laughs> okay. And even if you're working from home, don't bring your phone and your laptop to the table. There should be sacred spaces. And when you're at the table with the kids, it shouldn't be about Corona. Okay, you have little children, they want to tell a joke, let them tell the joke. Speak about other things. There are other things in the world. And we can't lose it because this is all we speak about. You get more anxious the more you talk about it. Stop checking the news. You can't do anything anyway. Let's talk about what we can do, not what we cannot do. So that's the second point that I would say that we have to keep routine. We have to keep a little joy, exercise. Don't bring your work to the table. Make a havdalah between work and play. Get dressed. Davin. Okay, which brings me to our third point, and that is that when Noah was in the Teva, Hashem said, and this is so beautiful, this my mother taught me, Hashem said that he should make for himself a tzohar, okay? And what is a tzohar? So Rashi says it's either a window or it's a light. If you take the letters of tzohar and you switch it around, you have the word tzara. And this is our choice. You can either say, I'm in a tsara now, I can't breathe, I can't do this. And you just lose it, you lose it. And if you lose it, your kids lose it. Or you could say, I'm going to take this tsara and I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to make it into a sohar. I'm going to make it into a window. I'm going to make it into a precious light. What can I do that will make this time be memorable in a positive way and not a negative way. When I look back at this time, I want to look at myself and know that I conquered this challenge and I can do this. You can do this. We can do this. And I'm not saying it's easy, but we definitely can do this. We don't have schools now. We don't have yeshivas now. We don't have minyanim now. We don't have our batei midrashim. You know what we have? We have our mikdash ma'at. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is leaving for us. Our job now, Hashem is being very clear, is to take the chinuch of our children and make a mikdash in our homes. And Hashem says, I will dwell with you. But we have to be very careful about the environment, the language, the ahava that we have for each other. Don't stop saying thank you to husbands and wives with each other. Have your children see express gratitude, express affection, express admiration. When you feel like you're losing it, instead of losing it, just take a, take a little bit of a break and then come back because our homes are our largest classrooms. And when Yosef was in Mitzrayim, do you know what kept him together? He was about to do the most terrible, terrible sin, but he had the image of his father and his mother in his head. The diyuk, no, that image right now is what you are forming. This is the time that your child will remember for the rest of his life and the rest of her life. What do you want your child to remember? What is the image? You want strength, you want calm, you want simcha, and most of all, you want emuna. 
We have so many avenues today to work on our emuna. We have so many virtual classes going on. Tefillah, so important. Have your children, all of us together at night. We should say Tehillim as a family, even if it's one capital and daven for the world. Daven for Am Yisrael. Pick a person to daven for. This is chinuch. This is really what chinuch is all about. This is what a moon is all about. This is our opportunity. I'd like to say that my parents survived the Holocaust, which was such a terrible, terrible tragedy for, for Kalal Yisrael. But you know what? For us growing up, we were so proud of who we were that our parents gave us stories about how they held on to their emuna, their identity and who they were. It formed us. Right now, this is life forming. So Hashem has given us the chinuch back into our hands. And what we do with it is our choice. It's up to us to create a mikdash ma'at once again in our home. Daven for Klal Yisrael. Make your brachas out loud because that stops the magefa. David HaMelech taught us that. Say brachas and omein out loud. That's something that even a two or three-year-old can do. It's beautiful to do that. Those are some very powerful takeaways. Um, I won't admit how much of it uh, applies to me in my own life. And uh, I'm going to have uh, some apologies to hand up to the rabbits and upstairs. I have a question just before you go. People yes. who want to learn more or find out more about you, where can they find you online? You could find me on YouTube. I've been on Sinai and Dob in South Africa and H.com. Amazing. Reverend, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for sharing with us and thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for the invitation and we will get through this. We will. We will rebuild. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you just tuning in right now, you are on OU Live. Uh, please share with us. Let us know what you think of the program and what you're looking for in the program and what kind of speakers we should have, what kind of information you want to know more about, what kinds of access to leaders you want, all of the above, please drop it in the comments below or email us at ou.live at ou.org. An exciting program, another half hour left. Stay tuned in about 15 minutes for musical sensation Shulam Lemmer. In the meantime, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce, say a friend, Dr. Henry Abramson. Doctor, good to have you. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here. I feel, wow, so privileged. What an amazing thing that you're doing for Klal Yisrael. Thank you very much for having me on. I th thanks for being here. I'm, I'm thinking about our, our last converse, recorded conversation about the Gutenberg Project. Maybe we'll uh, shifts and how uh, this program maybe plays into part of it. And, but beforehand, I'd like to just embarrass you a bit for those of, for like the three people tuning in who don't yet know who you are. <laughs> Dr. Henry Abramson, Hillel Abramson, is the Dean of Lander College of Arts and Sciences. He is an accomplished historian, which is a feat you can only appreciate if you know that he earned his PhD in Ukrainian Jewish history, and now lectures on Second Temple history, the Spanish expulsion, the Holocaust, and all sorts of other things. And also, nearest to my heart, he is a featured lecturer on the Aldaf Project. He, every day, gives a little tidbit about the historical context of the DAF and the DAF Yomi. If you haven't downloaded all DAF, you're the last one. So make sure to fix that. And uh, without further ado, doctor, you must be looking at this, these unusual times. Um, I, you know, 
there's so many pieces of this, school being canceled, school being canceled, the, the social distancing, the way people are talking about Pesach now, um, all the Pesach programs are canceled. Some people for the first time in their lives, in their entire lives are gonna have to make Pesach at home and start thinking about what they're gonna say to Seder that they're gonna lead for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, you know, I'm, I'm curious, it's not the first time a plague has uh, racked the globe, but I am, I'm not super embarrassed to say, I have absolutely no idea what the Jewish context of uh, life in those times was. Well, sure. So um, I think that th there's so many amazing things going on now, most of which are very, you know, first of all, everyone should be well and that no one should be negatively affected. And hopefully that all the people who have contracted coronavirus can just survive this easily, particularly those who are very vulnerable populations. Um, I mean, and I'd also like to make a plug for, for everyone watching to be to, to take the social distancing very seriously. Absolutely. If you're not sick, and you're already quarantined, you should still be social distancing. It's the only strong, effective way to, to really keep the, uh, keep the numbers down and get us through this. <clears throat> Absolutely, because we, we can't overwhelm our, uh, well. Medical systems. Yeah, uh, but looking at it from a historical perspective, we are definitely living in very unprecedented times. Uh, part of the reason for this is not because, you know, we haven't had massive plagues before. We have, of course, but we, uh, we're living in a period of great communication where we can become aware of the onset of a plague much earlier. Um, we are also in a, living in a period of great travel and uh, hence the greater communicability of the, uh, the plague. So this is the kind of situation that's really quite new in human history. And uh, we're all going to be learning lessons from this. You know, our, our grandchildren will be asking us about what was it like to live through the spring of 2020, the dreaded spring that everyone talks about. Um, but it, it's certainly not a new thing. There have been some massive plagues in human history, and Jews have been affected by it, by them in, in, in very negative ways. Uh, we actually have a very early association with plagues uh, all the way back to the Egyptian priest Manitho, who it's appropriate for the Pesach season, uh, he was very unhappy that the Egyptians got such a bad telling in the Exodus narrative that he says, no, 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 that's not the way it was. We kicked the Jews out because they were carriers of the plague. That's really what happened. And no signs and wonders. It was just the Jews and their plague. And we, we kicked them out. That story didn't carry much weight back then or now. But nevertheless, that's uh, our first real big association with it. Uh, un negatively, uh, most of the times that we've been in areas affected by plagues, uh, we have suffered not only in the plague itself, but in tremendous persecution that usually follows the plague. I wrote a short piece on this in JTA a little while ago when I looked at the, the, uh, the aftermath of the, the Black Death of 1347 through 1352, which was a horrific plague, bubonic plague, with mortality rates in Europe um, uh, that are roughly calculated between 25 and as much as 50%, depending on what part of Europe uh, it, it affected. Uh, and the most egregious uh, impact on Jewish life was after the plague, because people were casting about trying to find reasons for the plague. Why did it happen? And this uh, bizarre conspiracy theory began to circulate that the Jews had made a pact with the devil and lepers to take the, you know, the, 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 the dead and discarded limbs of lepers and then 
mix them up with secret potions that involved all kinds of other. Un, why did we? Why did we go in with the lepers? What was the upside for us? Well, because lepers are also at. Why? Why did we go in with the lepers? I think it was, saying like, what was? Uh, there's got to be a deal, no? Well, lepers were were considered like uh, you know outcasts in society, and uh, us the gypsies. Uh, you know, and they were like, you know, yeah, right. The Hootsie, the what is it, the uh, Tutus and the Hootsies, I think. The Hootsies, and uh, I'm going to say it wrong and embarrass myself. This isn't live, right? This is recorded. <laughs> this is just the two of us. <laughs> okay. I, I wouldn't do that to you, Doc. Anyway, the idea, the thought was that they were taking these lepers' fingers and things like that and essentially putting them in, in secret aquifers that would poison all the waters of uh, Europe. And then they were like, massive burnings of Jews and things like that. Really terrible, terrible things. Sorry, I forget, you know, I'm a professor. So like, if you start me talking, I can just go and go and go and go without it. I am still fascinated. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let me know if you want to break at some point to talk about uh, which zombie movies you've watched and uh, how you rack them up to um, current yeah. situation. My wife said I shouldn't really say that stuff, but- Oh, that was, that was next. <laughs> those of you who know me, know that I'm a Balchuva, that I, I wasn't raised uh, with the benefit of a strong traditional education. And so, you know, Hashem has his ways. And obviously, I'm, I'm well prepared for the current crisis, because in my misspent youth, I spent hundreds of hours watching zombie apocalypse movies. And so now I know exactly what to do. I know what happens next and so on. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm in my bunker right now. This looks like a nice uh, studio room. It's really not. It's, it's a steel lined cement room. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, is there, oh, they treated us horribly during the Black Plague and they blamed us, blamed it on us. And I think part of that was associated with the fact that we weren't as affected by it. The, the death toll on the Jews was lesser. Um, is there something to extrapolate from that time? You know, unfortunately, it's like a really heartwarming thought to think that the Jews were somehow less affected by the bubonic plague. The only problem is there's like not a shred of historical data to support oh, wow. that argument. Uh, people would offer, there's all kinds of unusual sort of arguments. Let's say that, you know, Jews were cleaner. And it is true that, you know, we would have mikvah and we would have natil without soap. But, you know, that's not exactly a high standard of hygiene that is really going to prevent you from carrying any, uh, any contagions. Um, there's also one of my favorites is the theory that, well, historically Jews tended not to own dogs. There's actually a couple of Gemaras about not owning dangerous dogs, things like that. So instead they must've owned cats. Cats would have chased away the rats that were carrying the flea that had the black death on it. And therefore Jews were somehow more exempt from it. But the, the reality is it's actually the opposite in truth. Um, <coughs> Jews were very urban because they have to live within walking distance of a synagogue, a Chinese restaurant, things like that. And the only way, uh, and then there's something called the urban health penalty, where if you're living in close quarters with a lack of social distancing, because we're a very gregarious people, we like to be around one another, it's likely that they suffered to a higher degree than the peasantry living spread apart in uh, farmland. I just want to note, I've been afraid of dogs like my entire life. And when I learned that Gamara, I felt, I felt really, I from about it, you know, the, you just had to put up with the rats. <laughs> I had to deal with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching, I just, you know, from my armchair, all sorts of, of wild innovation, the, the quick 
um, the accelerated pace that people's doing Shiur and live. Um, and we, by the way, we're, we're this close to finishing a website that God willing is going to support um, everybody who's, who's trying to do that in a really unprecedented way. I'm watching that. I'm watching people bounce around ideas like virtual minion, um, outsourcing of Kaddish. And I mean, that, that's been a thing for a long time, but it's in a new way. And um, my kids are all in, in school on their tablets. Um, just in the, in the space of a week, um, the whole world is, has turned around. What does this mean for the Jewish future? What do you, what's your take? Well, that's, I'm so glad you asked that because I, you know, be, without diminishing the seriousness of the threat that we face right now with this particular virus, I, I want to say I feel hugely optimistic for the accelerant value that this crisis has placed upon the emerging technologies that are going to draw Jews closer together. I mean, one of the amazing things about the internet is that people who are living physically disparate are able to amazingly connect and form online communities. Some online communities are like tremendously real, very real and very meaningful and, and a, a valuable part of their day. From Twitter, the Jewish Action just did a great article on from Twitter. You know, I get a lot of chizuk from, from Twitter. I, 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 as soon as I see rejected Feldheim titles, I've got to read it. I don't know, what is the rejected? Brilliant. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing stuff. Anyone so, put him in a cash with Feldheim, is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a mystery, man. Uh, he has, though, indicated he is definitely not Rabbi David Beshevkin in a burner Twitter account. But back to the point, right now, what Jews are being asked to do around the world is to diaspora in place, right? Like if we're a shelter in place, so this is diaspora in place. And I do not think, chas v'shalom, this is any way going to replace our need to be physically proximate with one another, to form a minion, to form a real live face-to-face -face community, but it is giving us new tools to actually enhance that community, to expand that community, to expand our network of connections in a very profound way, to allow us to express our individuality as Jews, because we all have different interests and different fascinations, and yet come together as a physical in-place community at the same time. So I actually feel that this is, you know, I read a great article by uh, a reform rabbi uh, in um, Forward today, uh, Jeffrey K. Salkin, and uh, he had a, a, it was a rather ambitious title, How the Coronavirus Epidemic is Transforming Judaism. I don't think it's transforming Judaism at all. I don't think we're going to migrate onto Facebook and we'll live there. Uh, however, I really appreciated his idea that this is like a Yavne moment, right? Like when the Jews were about to be destroyed in the encounter with with uh, Vespasian and uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, you know, give me Yavna and its sages. You know, like, and can you imagine Vespasian's point of view saying, what do you, you know, that's what you want? You want this little, like, you know, suburban region. It's not even especially close to the Mediterranean. That's what you want. And a few, what, scholars? That's going to make it happen. And nevertheless, that was, in fact, the nucleus that allowed the survival of Jewish people. And I think right now we're in one of those Yavne moments where all of these new skills and these new possibilities are being expanded to such a wide population base that, that we're going to be amazed with what we do with this 10 years from now. I, I hope from your... Uh... From Dunmoyle off to the Shepherd's Iron, okay. as we say in Ladino. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> um, what's one thing you uh, you want everyone to kind of walk away with this? 
Well, I think um, probably the, the best walkaway moment is, and, and I think a lot about the history of technology. I'm very fascinated with the, the impact of the internet on Gutenberg. identity and so on. Um, I think that if you think about the way ebooks developed about 10 years ago, you know, when ebooks first came on the stage, maybe 15 years ago, people were like amazed and they're saying, oh my gosh, that's it for the printed word. Nobody's going to buy a book anymore, you know? And uh, in fact, for the first few years, ebook sales just, you know, ratcheted up and regular bricks and mortar bookstores suffered significantly. However, we reached a certain tipping point where we saw, you know what, ebooks are great. Yes, we can read ebooks anywhere we want. Almost all of my library research now is done electronically, and I love it. But we now appreciate the aesthetic, the value of physically holding an objet d'art, a piece of actual printed text in our hands. And that's never going to go away, but we have learned to appreciate it in a much more positive way. So with this crisis, we're suddenly being forced to leave our physical shuls and go into our virtual shuls, so to speak. And we're seeing the new possibilities with it, but it's also absence makes the heart grow fonder. We're gonna realize and we're gonna return, God willing, as soon as possible, once this blows over, we'll return with renewed strength and renewed vigor to really you know, invest ourselves in our human relationships in our synagogues with even greater strength. Incredible, balancing the future and the past and, and, uh, and all of it together. Doc, one last question. If people want to learn more from you or about you, where do they find you? Uh, well, right now they find me in the corner of my bedroom here where I've set up a temporary studio and sheltering a place. But in general, on the internet, uh, I've got a website, henryabramson.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and, and uh, YouTube and places like that. Amazing. Incredible. Doc, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Short you. Notice. I really appreciate being on. Inspiring words. Okay, be well, be safe. Take care. If you're just joining us, you are on OU Live. You can catch us on Facebook. You can catch us on YouTube. And I want to know more from you what you're interested in from us. So drop us a message at OULive at OU.org or drop it in the comments below. If you've enjoyed our, uh, our lineup so far, I just want you to know that Rebison Youngers Wolf is actually doing a webinar with the OU on Sunday. So you can check that out online. Um, and it's really my absolute humble, overjoyed pleasure to introduce Shulam Lemmer. Shulam Lemmer is a, an international music star. He is um, in, in, in our belt and he's also the first uh, born from his whole life um, Jew to be signed with a, on a major, uh, uh, major label with Universal, with an imprint of Universal. Um, and he's gonna hopefully give us uh, something to sing about. Shulam, you there? I am here. Could you hear me now? Can you I can hear you. I can hear you and I can see you. Okay, great. I wasn't sure. I was setting it up earlier. I wasn't sure if you can hear me good and it's all set up. Yeah, no, no, you're coming in just fine. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. <laughs> it was very kind of you and uh, it's really, really amazing and humbling to follow uh, you know, Rabbi Abramson's speech and, and words. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I've, there's so many words to say. The truth is uh, pulling from uh, from the CBS article, the Haaretz article, 
Uh, and obviously many, many, uh, many articles, you know, from the, uh, the Hamadiyas and the Mishpachas, uh, you know, the, the, the range of people who are writing articles and are, are interested in your career is uh, staggering. And it's just really very impressive. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I think um, most of the uh, most of the people heard already uh, speeches and stuff like that. I think it's a good way to uh, to um, you know lift our spirits a little bit is through music and through that's uh, you know music is powerful. It's the uh, the power of the soul. It's 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 so many um, words have been said about music, the power of music. It's weird. Words stop, the music continues. Music is the pen of the soul. Especially with such times where we need to be those and we need Rahman and we need to connect with ourselves a little bit more. I think music is uh, is very powerful for that. Incredible. Um, what do you have? Uh, what do you have in mind? Um, I'm not sure exactly. I was gonna, you know, try to feel you what we have in mind. Uh, you know, obviously, I would sing something that's a tefillah first. So we can get everyone into a certain mode of tefillah and uh, um, an inspiration. Then um, songs, a little bit of you know entertainment, and then something more, you know, come to see something that everyone can sing along. So um, I yeah, think maybe a, maybe like a new niggin we can all uh, take home that we uh, some of us didn't know before. Oh, uh, maybe. Okay, think let's think of that one. Quick one. I mean, there's always a song that some people know and some people don't, and then there's always, you know, so we can try that. Sure. Some of the, um, the, the song that actually first, I think I first released the song is Avinu Malkeinu, from that you say, um, um, you know, the Avinu Malkeinu, a lot of people are saying it now, and on Arki Hill, we started saying it even for ourselves. I think, <clears throat> um, so it's a beautiful tefillah, and we can ask for everything, especially... But it includes not in the song, but uh, so it's very powerful. I think uh, we'll start with Avina Volcano as a tefillah for now, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, cool. I hope you can hear me. I hope it comes out uh, clear enough. And this is Pinyas Stryker, uh, great accompaniment, a keyboard player, piano player. So uh, we'll do that. Thanks for joining us. Vino Marquinho, a 
Wow, incredible. Thank you. Very uh, moving. Clear enough, was it good with the music, everything? Yes, I'm, I'm hearing it great. Okay, perfect, just want to make sure. Take it away, and thanks, thanks to our uh, listeners, because they're, you know, we're, we're figuring this out as we go along, and uh, first and then I got willing. Yes, I mean, exactly. It's usually, you know, you feed off the crowd, and, and uh, it's, it's, for me, it's certain energy that, you know, you have to connect with yourself, and really get into it in order to feel it because you feel the crowd. And so, yeah, it's, it's a great experience. So thanks for right. that. You have to imagine, you have to, I mean, I'm telling you that there are a lot of people watching and just imagine oh. they're in the, <laughs> right there with you. Thank you so much. So I want to bring back an English song because I know most of the people speak English here and it's a little bit of an oldie and it's a beautiful message, one of my favorite songs. It's Zadie from Moishies, Elva Shalom. And it talks about really of what we what we are as a you know a tradition. What we are from one generation to the other, we give up, we give over our tradition in our Messiah and our Torah to one another. And especially in this time when we're everyone is thinking and reflecting of what's really important and how what role we have in this situation, um, I think it would be a great song. So Let's do it. 
in my parents' home. He used to laugh. He put me on his knee. And he spoke about his life in full view. He spoke, but with a bitter memory. He spoke about the soldiers who had beaten him. They laughed at him. They tore his old black coats. He spoke about the synagogue that they burned down and the crying that was heard beneath the smoke. But Zayn made us laugh, and Zayn made us sing, and Zayn made us give it pride in used to teach me wrong from right. His eyes lit up, but he would teach me Torah. He taught me every line so carefully. And he spoke about our slavery in Egypt. And how God took us out to make us free. But winter went by and summer came along. I went to camp to run and play. And when I came back home, they said, See, he's gone. And all his books were packed and stored away. Now I don't know how or why it came to be. It happened slowly over many years. But we just stopped being Jewish like my Zayn was. And no one cared at all to shed a tear. But Zayn made us laugh. And Zayn made us sing. And Zayn made us Summers came along, and now my little children sit in front of me. I think who will be the lady of my children? Who will be the lady if not me? Who will be the lady of our children? Who will be the lady? If not me, but Zayn made us laugh, and Zayn made us sing, and Zayn made us finish Friday night, and Zayn, oh my Zayn, I love My Zayn used to teach me wrong. And now we ladies will teach our children 
Beautiful. Shulam, yes. probably a silly question for you, but people who are listening and inspired and fired up, where do they find you online? Um, they can find me on just Google Shulam. My website is iamshulam.com, all across all social platforms at, at iamshulam. And we're, we're looking forward to the next time that we can actually uh, go to a concert, see you live. Bez Hashem. Bez Hashem. Okay, in the meantime, yes, thank you so much. Do we have time or do you want to finish off now with the, another song? Um, yeah, please. Just I want everyone to sing along with me to get into the zone. You know, we're busy hearing and trying to cope with everything. And sometimes we're giving with our children. I've been a teacher today and then, you know, it's, it's, we're all so busy with everything else. And sometimes we take in the music, but I want you to join along and experience the music with me and say it's Hila Bachinu. And that Hashem take us out of this dollars, which this is very, we're all feeling it. It's far part of the Hula. So if anyone, all the viewers watching, you can sing along, stand up, feel however you want to get inspired. And let's do this Hila together. Although we can't daven together as a minion, but. Hashem made this technology that virtually we can do this together. We'll do it all together, but I promise I'm going to stay on mute. <laughs>
Wow, amazing, amazing. Thank you, thank you so much. On behalf of all of us who are singing along with you, thank you so much for the, that, uh, that inspiring Megan. Thank you, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you to the OU for hosting the beautiful thing as we use technology and whatever we can to come together as much as we're you know, isolated or apart. And we can use this to come together, it's beautiful. So thank you so much for making Be'ez Hashem, and we'll do this again, Be'ez Hashem, together. Be'ez Hashem. For good reasons, all right. Yeah, face to face. <laughs> uh, sounds good, talk soon. Thank you so much. Amazing. So, Everyone tuning in, we are back here tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern with an all-star lineup. Like the Orthodox Union on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Make sure to hit the bell to make sure that you get notified. And your other homework assignment, please do me a favor. Call someone who 